It is a great joy to be here in Duke Chapel and have the honor to be the Peter Gomes preacher this morning, and also to reaffirm the close ties that continue to exist between Duke Chapel and Duke Divinity School. It's great to be here this morning. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, descend your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here. Speak through me, if necessary, in spite of me, and always beyond me, that your word might be heard by your people this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's been quite a year. It was a year ago at the beginning of March that the United States began to close down, lock down, as we began to deal with the coronavirus pandemic. The year has seemed tumultuous and so unstabilizing, and we've struggled to get through it. As we came to the end of 2020, there were a series of memes going around as people were looking so forward to New Year's Eve, not so much to un and usher in a new year as to just say goodbye to 2020. One of my favorite memes was a church bulletin board, and on it it said, this too shall pass. Unfortunately, it will pass like a kidney stone, but it will eventually pass. Or another one had Christopher Lloyd and Matthew J. Fox sitting in the car of Back to the Future when Christopher Lloyd's character says to Matthew J. Fox's character, Marty, whatever you do, under no conditions, set this for 2020. And then 2021 began, and we had the events in the Capitol on January 6th, and people were wanting to return their subscription to 2021, saying that they'd experienced the seven-day trial and wanted no more of it. It wasn't just one thing in 2020 and into 2021 that has haunted us. Initially, it may have been the coronavirus pandemic, which continues to wreak havoc across our land and around the world. But there have been multiple pandemics that we've been dealing with. In addition to the coronavirus pandemic, there's been heightened attention to racial injustice and systemic racism, to economic disruption and the loss of many jobs, a lot of which won't ever come back again. And as we've dealt with all of those impacts and the isolation and the loneliness and the fear and the anxiety, we've also been dealing with a mental health pandemic. The CDC did a survey of 18 to 24-year-olds and found frightening rises in isolation and anxiety and even in suicide ideation. And then you think about in nursing homes and in varieties of places where the elderly are feeling lonely and isolated. People aren't gathering normally for weddings or funerals or other significant life events. These four pandemics have been intersecting and reinforcing the pain and suffering. If there's anything that we've experienced over the last year, it's perhaps a loss of confidence in the future, wondering what might be ahead of us still. And yet, when we're honest with ourselves, it's not just the past year. These aren't unprecedented times. Indeed, even in Scripture, we read in the Old Testament of the, the story of the Israelites who were wandering in the wilderness, not for one year, but for 40 years. The psalmist in Psalm 137 talks about the Israelites in exile and how they hung up their harps. 
Sometimes it led not just to discouragement or even despair, but a desire to go back to old familiar days, even if they were oppressive and suffering. The story in Numbers 13 and 14, when the Israelites are in the wilderness, and after the spies, the 12 spies are sent out, and they come back with a majority report and a minority report, what they hear from the Israelites, the majority report says, let's go back to Egypt. Egypt was suffering. Egypt was slavery. Egypt was oppression. But Egypt was familiar. They were so disoriented and frightened. They wanted to go back to Egypt. My father used to say that every church he ever served had a back to Egypt committee in it. The truth of the matter is every one of us has a back to Egypt part of our souls. And just like the Israelites of ancient days, so also in these turbulent times, we wonder, is there any reason to have confidence in the future? Winston Churchill once said, if a person doesn't, isn't an optimist at age 16, he doesn't have a heart. And then he added, but if they're not a cynic by the age of 40, they don't have a head. Throughout history, there have been turbulent times, the result of sin and suffering and brokenness and pandemics, and they lead us to wonder about the future. And yet, and yet, even in the dark times, when we may not have reason for optimism, there's always reason for hope. You see, optimism faces those real-life experiences that Churchill was talking about. Recently in education, there's been a lot of movement around positive psychology initially, and then positive organizational behavior, positive health. And there's a lot of evidence that people have, who have a positive attitude toward the future do better. They're healthier. They're more successful in sales, in politics, in varieties of vocations. And so this emphasis on positive psychology has led a lot of people to focus on optimism. Martin Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania has been one of the leaders in this positive psychology movement. In his book, Learned Optimism, he says at one point that pessimists have one advantage over optimists. It's about a third of the way through the book. It's one paragraph, and then he notes that one advantage. They have a more accurate understanding of reality. So it seems you could take your choice, be an optimist and ignore an accurate understanding of reality, or be a pessimist and have an accurate understanding of reality but be a misanthrope. The Christian virtue of hope holds both of these things in together. We have the spirit of an optimist, but not because of who we are or our ability to control daily events or even a year like 2020 and 2021. Rather, it's not because of who we are, it's because of who God is. And we can have an accurate understanding of reality like the pessimists because we're called by God to see the world as it is and also to point to the future. That's at the heart of what we experience at the end of Lent as we journey through Holy Week on Easter Sunday morning. We discover a renewal of hope and new life, not because Jesus is uncrucified, but because Jesus is crucified and risen. Our Lenten season that we're in the midst of now is a time of purifying our hearts and our minds and our souls and our lives to be ready 
to rediscover Easter hope. And that requires we journey with Jesus through Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. Take account of the reality of our brokenness. You see, when we're oriented toward God, it doesn't cause us to become blind or to evade the reality of the world, but to become centered in Christ. And that's what our passage from Romans really focuses our attention on. First, by focusing on Abram's own situation. Can you imagine? Initially, he's just called by God to set forth. And God says, I'll tell you along the way where you're heading. But I want the people of Israel to be a a light unto the nations, a city on a hill. I want to show what I've created you for, for relationship and love. I want to focus on what it means to say yes and we and ours rather than the tendency of you human beings that I've already seen since creation to say no and me and mine. And so Abram gets this sense that he ought to trust God and then immediately things go awry and he does all sorts of bad things. He tries to pass his wife off as his sister to try to protect himself and God keeps staying with him. And then, as our passage says, When Abram was about 100 years old and Sarah was 90, God says, you're going to be a father of many nations. It would have been easy for Abraham to say, I don't think so. And yet, our passage says, hoping against hope. Abram had faith. Abraham had faith in God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You see, throughout the story of Scripture, God has a funny way of reorienting us toward hope and away from optimism. When the going gets tough, God tells us to trust in God. And by that means, we can discover a positive orientation toward the future. Think of the story of Gideon in the Old Testament. Gideon's already outnumbered. The odds look terribly bleak. And God says, well, you're probably still too confident. Let me take away a few more men, make the odds even look less likely, because right now you'll still give yourself credit. But if you have a leaner force, then you'll know that it was I who brought you this victory. Over and over again, we're called to focus our attention on who God is, to be oriented toward that great trilogy in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. And God keeps orienting us toward that. And what Paul points to in Romans 4, in the passage Katie so beautifully read just a few moments ago, is that even when the odds look bleak and so you're hoping against hope, we're called to be a people of hope. And at the conclusion of that passage it says, and this reckoning that was given to Abraham was not just for himself, but to all those who believed that God raised Jesus from the dead. You see, our orientation is Easter. And this season of Lent is to refocus our lives away from all that isolates us, all from, away from that which divides us, to center us in Christ, to help us reweave the social fabric. As Paul puts it at the beginning of 2 Corinthians 1, Jesus Christ is God's definitive yes. And as we prepare our hearts and minds, repent of our sin, 
ask forgiveness for that which has been done against us, and forgive those who have suffered with us and have harmed us. As we undertake this season to prepare our lives and to purify our hearts and souls and minds and lives, we're then called to hope. And in a season like this, perhaps it's hoping against hope. Because every day there seems to be some new development that can cause difficulty. To continue to wrestle with all the effects of these overlapping pandemics. To recognize that the health pandemic is exacerbating and intensifying racial inequities and economic inequities. Orienting us toward rediscovering our connectedness in God in a time when we feel all too often a sense of lost connections. Hoping against hope has not just Abraham as a forebear for us, or the Israelites returning from exile. Think of Jeremiah when Jerusalem is under siege and the Israelites are about to go into exile. And what does Jeremiah hear as a word from the Lord? Go buy a plot of land. Counterintuitive to be sure, but that's the way God works. Last summer, I was getting tired of thinking of adjectives to describe our time. I was saying it was tumultuous times, turbulent times, chaotic times. I'd gotten to surreal times. I wanted to avoid unprecedented times. So I said to a friend of mine, a fellow Christian, I said, you got any new adjectives to describe the, the time that we're in? He said, yes, it's our time. I thought, oh, that's beautiful. You see, all my adjectives had been about our reaction, and it had put us on our heels and on the defensive. And what he was saying was, by trusting in the God of Jesus Christ, by believing in the power of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit who is making all things new, we see an opportunity to make hope happen. Hope comes from trust in God. And what we're called to do as people who follow Jesus Christ and who trust in the Holy Spirit, as people of Easter hope and Pentecostal power, we're called to bear witness to God by making hope happen. That's the title of a, of a book by uh, Shane Lopez. It's a beautiful book, Making Hope Happen. He says what you need to make hope happen is first an audacious goal. Well, that's given to us by God in Jesus Christ, the reign of God a reign of generosity, justice, peace, forgiveness, reconciliation. And he says what you need is a sense of agency. Well, that agency also comes from God, the God who loves us in Jesus Christ and who forgives us for new life. And our Lenten disciplines of purification reorient us toward that faith, hope, and love. And then what he says the third thing you need, beyond an audacious goal, the reign of God, beyond a sense of agency which comes to us from God, is a willingness to undertake multiple pathways to achieve that goal. That's, I suspect, what Jesus means when he says, except as you're like a little child, because young children can always discover multiple pathways. There was a study that showed that when children were, so, were told that there was a hospital over here on an island and a, there'd been a wreck and the ambulance needed to get to the hospital and they said how are you going to get the people there and they said well we'd send out an ambulance and they said but the bridge is out and you can't get there by car and they said oh we'd call for a helicopter to airlift them to the hospital and they said well the helicopter is not available and pretty soon they're calling in superman or underdog or all sorts of other superheroes 
they discover those multiple pathways. Well, that's what Jeremiah did when he bought a plot of land. It's what children think of all the time and what it's calling us to be as Easter people, to recognize our time. It's the story of the book of Acts. It's the story of the early Christians in the Antonine plagues in the second century. As all the Romans were fleeing, it was Christians returning to bear witness. Down through the centuries when there are pandemics and rough times of varieties of sorts, Christians have seen it as our time to make hope happen. In the late 18th century, when the United States was going through a yellow fever pandemic, Richard Allen, the African-American pastor and founder of the AME Church, thought that by bearing witness and taking risks and being oriented toward hope, that people, white people in the United States, might overcome their racism and slavery to recognize their bonds in Christ. It didn't work. It chastened his optimism. And yet he remained a person of hope who made hope happen in so many ways. In our own time, we see people who are hoping against hope in the midst of difficult times who are bearing witness to the good news of the gospel. Doctors and nurses out on the front line, grocery store workers, people who out of that sense of who God is are shining the light of Christ into the world. It's people like Sam Hammond, who we regret died this past week, who for 53 years climbed to the top of Duke Chapel to bear witness to the God of Jesus Christ as a person of hope, to play the carillons day after day through good times and bad, through joyful times and difficult struggles, bearing witness to the good news of the gospel. It's calling us to seize our time as an opportunity to bear witness to God. We're called to be people of hope. When the times are difficult, it means hoping against hope. And yet, we can shine forth with the gospel. There's a woman who's one of my heroines. Her name is Maggie Berenkitsa. She's been through extraordinarily difficult times over and over again. In the 1990s, during the Burundian Civil War, she was made to watch as 70 members of her family and friends were massacred. And then, years later, after she had started Maison Shalom, a place that has created jobs and helped children grow, thousands and thousands of children through social entrepreneurship, an assassination hit was put out on her life and she had to move to Rwanda. Duke has given her an honorary degree in recognition of her hope and her love and her faith. It's an extraordinary story. When I saw her in a conference a few years ago after she'd been exiled to Rwanda, I said, how are you, Maggie? She gave me a great big bear hug. Her, light, her face lit up with hope, and she said, you can't stop God's love, Greg. I thought to myself, oh, I can. I, I do it with some regularity. And yet she then said to me, she said, do you know the story of Joseph? I said, yes. She said, even when other people mean things for evil, even when things look darkest, she said, there is still God at work, and that gives us hope. It's an extraordinary story. Maggie's made a life out of hoping against hope, of shining her life with the light of the gospel. 
one time when she was here for her honorary degree, I asked her, Maggie, what do you do when you pray? She had told me one time that she prays every afternoon for an hour. And I said, what do you do when you pray? She said, mostly I just listen to God. I was disappointed. I was hoping she was going to give me a technique to help my prayer life. And then she paused and she said, well, Greg, there is one prayer I pray every morning. And I said, could you share that with me? She says, I don't know how it would sound in English. I said, well, your English is better than my Kirundi, her first language, or French, her second language. And she paused and she said, it goes something like this. Lord, let your miracles break forth every day and let me not be an obstacle in any way. I said, Maggie, that sounds pretty good in English. It's become the prayer I pray every morning when I wake up because it points us toward Easter hope and Pentecostal power. Even in the midst of difficult times, even when we lose confidence in the future, we become recentered in Christ and pray that miracles might break forth every day. And during Lent, it's also a reminder that we need to make sure that we're not an obstacle in any way. During this season of Lent, let's hope against hope, prepare ourselves for the good news of Easter, becoming Easter people, people who bear witness to Easter hope. May the Lord's miracles break forth every day and that you and I are not an obstacle in any way. Thanks be to God. Amen.